You know, God really loves us and he wants the best for us. And he, he cares about all the little things. He cares about, for example, Marie and Manus getting the job in the same school because he knows that will be a blessing for them, you know. So just the little things. All we need to do is just use our faith and trust God, eh? So praise God. And thank you, Pastor Robin, for, uh, for everything you said this morning too because it was like you were preaching my message. <laughs> no, don't say sorry. <laughs> no, it just added to it. Some of the things you said weren't things that I was planning to say, but you're absolutely right about declaring the national anthem over New Zealand. That's, and it's such a God-inspired anthem. And so that is a really good thing to do um, because we want to push back darkness, don't we? And so what I'm speaking about today is the second part of Seven Mountains. And uh, just a really brief recap. Um, I won't go on for too long on that. But, you know, it's God's desire to see his kingdom on earth. And this has to happen before the rapture of the church. You know, the, the rapture isn't just an um, escape hatch for us. Numbers 13.21 says, But truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. And that's what we do have to look forward to, as Pastor Robin was um, alluding to this morning. Here, the, you know, we, the whole earth will be filled. And so every nation has mountains of influence. And these are areas where his kingdom should be obvious and clearly seen. So those seven mountains are media and, and family and arts and entertainment, economy, religion, education, and government. And the thing with God is that he is a loving God. And so when every person experiences the love of God, God's kind of love, there's other imitations of love, but God is the true authentic love. He loves unconditionally. There's no conditions attached with him. Um, when we experience his kind of love through those seven mountains, then his glory will be seen uh, on the earth. And you know what? God is amazing. He, he loves us as his children, and he likes to involve us as well. You know, we're the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church. We are his body, and so he gives us a job to do. And so we are the ones that are going to display his unconditional love and goodness. And I know that God will answer all the prayers and, and all of, you know, he, he, he wants to answer our prayers. He really wants to. Um, but it's up to us to, to kind of display the love of God to people. It doesn't mean we even need to talk about God necessarily either because we can still display the love of God. Um, obviously, we ask God for the right wisdom and timing about when to share, but, uh, but we can still at all times express the love of God to the people around us in all, the, all aspects of our life whether it be family life or work life, whatever. And so, you know, Satan has actually distorted the seven mountains. And God's in intention was for, for his glory to be seen on the earth, really from the start, actually. And then when Satan used lies and, lies and deceit to, to deceive Adam and Eve then that changed things. But you know what? Despite what Satan has done, Jesus redeemed it. Jesus redeemed us. And he's brought us back. And so uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 10 says, Our, 
would, and Jesus was speaking when he said this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that is what we want to see happen. You know, Satan's primary strategy is lies and deception. That's what his focus is. And God's one is truth. God is truth. And so I'm going to talk to you over a few weeks. It may, it may be a little bit broken in between, but certainly this week, next week, and then we'll see uh, when next. But I'm going to talk to you about each of the individual mountains. So I'm going to start with the mountain of media. And as I said last week, the lies and the deception and even the arguments of the kingdom of darkness are like a type of propaganda, actually. And propaganda, as I said last week, is used to try and make people think a certain way. Uh, Satan uses lies and arguments or propaganda. In media, he does, to make mankind think that, that God doesn't exist or that God doesn't need to be acknowledged or that his love for us is conditional and to try and distort our view of God. But I'll tell you what Adolf Hitler said, and I don't normally like to quote Adolf Hitler, but I will in this case, because he said, make the lie big, make it simple, keep saying it, and eventually they will believe it. Isn't that interesting? And you know what happened in World War II. It was horrible. Uh, he said, he actually had a, a, a ministry of propaganda. So there was, you know, how you have ministry of health, ministry of transport and all the different ones in, in this country where well, he had a ministry of propaganda and it was something else as well. There was another word used as well. But he said, propaganda's task, and this is a quote, is not to make an objective study of the truth. Its task is to serve our own right, always and unflinchingly. And so what he means by that is that propaganda's task is not to look at things from every side, it's not to be unbiased, it's to be biased. And so that's, that is what he thought of the um, meaning of propaganda. And you know, the strategy that Satan uses in the mountain of media is lies and fear. Lies and fear. And you know, demons of fear operate on this mountain and news is typically negative. Do you agree with that? The news that we hear is, is usually quite negative. And, and do you know what that does? It actually leaves us without hope. And that kind of feeling generates fear in us. And it's really unpleasant. And over the last few years, I think we've seen very clear examples of, of fear <coughs> in people. And I just want you to think for a moment... If there was the me if the media as we currently have it with television, radio and social media, because all of that is, is media, would there be the same amount if, if that if that as it currently is was not there, would we have the same level of fear? Would we have had it over the last couple of years? I don't think so. Hey. Because it the way that it's been approached has been very negative, and it's brought about fear. But you know, God doesn't, 
That's not his way at all. And if I can get anything across to you is that God's plan for the seven mountains doesn't make logical sense. Often God doesn't make logical sense because his ways are higher than our ways. But, you know, God, um, God does... He does know what... He, he does not want the lies and the fear of Satan to be impacting us in the way it does because that's not his plan. His plan for the seven mountains is for it to be based on unconditional love and bringing hope, not fear. And the truth is that God has an assignment for us. You know, he really does. Jeremiah 29, 11 confirms this. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That sounds pretty hopeful to me. Hey, it sounds very good, not negative. Do you think God's an encourager? Yeah, he is. He encourages us. And if he, if he said, gee, you've done a really bad job of that today, that wouldn't be encouraging, would it? So God doesn't say things like that to us. He always gives us hope. No matter what our situation is, there is always, always hope. But the enemy through the mountain of media wants people so discouraged that they can't see a way out. He wants people so fearful that they feel helpless. And the enemy wants people to believe that they can't trust God. And in fact, the enemy wants them to believe that they have to fend for themselves. Because in a, in a place where, in a mountain where God isn't acknowledged, then we do have to fend for ourselves, eh? But if, we, if God is acknowledged, then we can trust him to look after us. And so fear from negative news and media reinforces the lie that God, that if God is real, he either can't protect us or he can't be trusted to protect us. And we know that that's a lie. So Satan wants us in fear, not in freedom or liberty. And so he's assigned fear to this task. And fear is a harsh taskmaster. A demon of fear, the demon of fear wants to keep people in slavery at all costs. And what I want you to remember throughout all of this is that our real enemy is Satan and the kingdom of darkness. It's not people. So it's not the people in media that are the real enemy. The real enemy is Satan because he's the one who lies and deceives. He's the one who's lied to and deceived many, many people. But just as there is a spirit of fear that kind of resides over that mountain, so too are their angelic forces that are assigned as well. And, you know, the mountain of media is all about communication with God. And there are hosts of angels that are assigned to help those who are called to this mountain of media or communication, you could think of it as being. And God is a really good communicator. He's not limited to um, just speaking with his mouth like we are, or, but we can write. But God does, he communicates to us in all sorts of ways. And he, he talks to us sometimes in our mind. He, he talks to us um, sometimes in an audible voice. That does occasionally happen to people. 
Uh, he also uh, talks to us in, in our heart. He talks to us in dreams and visions as well. There's so many ways that God speaks to us. And God, as I said before, his words are always encouraging and filled with good news and hope, even though things might not be good. And that's because he's a God of love and goodness, and his words leave us feeling uplifted and restored, don't they? And so that makes us able to cope with what might come next. So even if the circumstances look bad, God communicates with us in a way that leaves us hopeful for the future. So even when we're going through some really hard trials, God is always there. He's, there's always hope for the future. And we can learn to recognize his voice as well. So God is absolutely good. And do you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to stop us from seeing God as real, first of all, from God as being a loving God, and that God is even wanting to or capable of talking to us. But he is. He is capable of doing that. So the effect of fear on our physical body and soul is not good because fear, brought about by bad news, it increases our stress levels, doesn't it? It really does. And it's exhausting emotionally as well. And I think about um, a lot of the people that I come across, even uh, young people in school, they're really anxious. They're really, really anxious. But bad news makes us sick. And, and ex ex emotional exhaustion is really a horrible thing. And it's, 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 that's not what God's best is for us either. And so... All of this bad stuff and stress levels up can make us feel exhausted emotionally, and that's going to affect our body and our soul. But do you know what? Good news brings hope, and it brings healing to our physical body and soul. Good news is always positive. So Proverbs 17.22 says, A merry heart does good like medicine. A merry heart does good like medicine. And that's the way you'll feel when you talk with God or even in the, in the mountain of media when you hear good news. And, you know, God wants to change what we currently have into what his best is. And his best is that it's always looked at. Media is, is given and received through like a lens of, um, of God's love and that he, he has a plan and assignment for us. So for those people who are assigned to the mountain of media, and if you've got, I just want to say here, you might not be necessarily a journalist, you might not be a news anchor, you might not be a radio host, but tell you what, probably a lot of you are social media people. You might have a Facebook page or an Instagram account, or you might have Twitter or something like that. But if you do and you interact on that and you have people following you, then you actually have a sphere of influence in media. And so for those people, we, I just want us to remember every time with all of these mountains, we must in, intentionally operate with the opposite spirit of what's presently ruling in the mountain of media. So presently ruling in the mountain of media is fear. And so we need to intentionally operate opposite to that, so in faith and love. So first of all, first tip, maintain a positive and hopeful perspective. 
remembering that God's goodness can be communicated through you if you do this. And that way, people will feel the truth of Jeremiah 29.11 for my thoughts, you know. Uh, uh, towards you. Um, what, what does that scripture say? I'm just going to turn to it. <laughs> yeah, I should know that. I think I do know it. I just have forgotten temporarily. It says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, say the, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God thinks of us. He th- thinks thoughts of peace and not, he doesn't think any evil thoughts towards us. And he wants to give us a future and a hope. And that's what God wants for everybody. You know, in, when the mountains of influence are the way God always intended, people might not know God, but they're going to get to know him through this because they're going to experience God's love even if they're not really looking for it. Second point is that Satan, just remember that Satan is always promoting fear, so don't do the same thing. So don't unwittingly promote fear as well. So always ensure you find a positive angle that gives hope. And Philippians 4.8 says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, meditate on these things and, and speak these things out or write these things or whatever it is. Also, uh, be really aware of how you deliver what you say or write because life and death are in the power of the tongue, as Proverbs 18.21 says. And always make sure you give hope. Make sure that there's always hope. I'm going to talk now about the mountain of family, and this will be the last one for today. So family is really important to God. In fact, and family is really in the heart of God. In fact, we all came from the heart of God, actually. And, uh, and when we were conceived, our little spirit was knit to our bit of flesh. And, you know, God made us. He made us in his image as well. He, he made us in his likeness. Why? Because he wanted family. God wanted family. I'm going to read a scripture to you. Um, I'll read Galatians 4. Let's go there now. So Galatians 4. Oops, gone too far. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5. It says, uh, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Okay, so that's talking about Jesus to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. That's cool, eh? We've been adopted into his family. That's good, isn't it? But so God loves family. He loves family. We are part of his family. And no matter what kind of family life you've had, we've, God's placed us in this church to be family. So we might have our natural family, and, and to, to be completely honest with you, God's best is that our natural family is awesome. But we know that that isn't always the case. But then if, that, if it isn't great, you've got your church family anyway. And that's why it's so important to be connected in church and get to know each other and Get, and get to know each other so that you understand each other better as well. 
So I want to tell you a, a, a quote, and this is from a woman who was really affected by her family. She said, I just found it online, her name was Carol, she said, there was a great strain in our family because my father didn't want anything to do with me. He was happy to see my brother and sister, but not me. I don't know why. Maybe it was shame. I don't know. But he never wanted anything to do with me. That rejection was terribly hurtful, and it went on for years. Isn't that sad? And, and you know, that, see, that's an example of where the, the enemies caused destruction. And that is what we want to see re reversed. And I know that God heals and restores. God does. He heals and restores. And he wants that to happen. But isn't it sad that that, ha that rejection she felt, she held with her for years into her adulthood. But the good news with that is that God can heal us from trauma. He can heal our soul. He heals the brokenhearted. That's why Jesus came. Not just to heal our physical body, he came to heal our soul. He, he came to heal our broken heart. He came to heal us from all trauma. And so the main demonic strategy that the devil uses in family is rejection and abandonment. And that's probably why God says, I've adopted you. You're no longer orphans but your sons. Isn't that cool? We've been made sons and daughters of the most high God. There is no other God higher than our God. He is the most high God. And the devil, he's been working really hard at sowing rejection and abandonment. And Baal is the demonic stronghold over this mountain, actually. Because Baal wants to kill and destroy. Baal wants to kill young, even unborn. Baal wants to kill old and everyone in between, if at all possible. Baal also, if, if, can't, if he can't kill you, wants to confuse you. He wants to make you think that God is not real. He wants to make you um, think that you're not loved, that you're rejected. But you know what? Romans, I was going to read that scripture actually. It's a really good one. Romans 8. I like this one. 14 to 17. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You know that's you? For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Oh, there we go. There's fear in there. And it is bondage. Fear is bondage. But you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Isn't that awesome? We've been made, not only have we been adopted and we're no longer orphans, but God has made us part of his family so much so that he's even given us an inheritance. We've been made heirs, joint heirs with Christ. That's impressive. That's amazing. The kingdom of darkness wants to sow the lie that to be accepted, 
we've got to try and work on that ourselves. We've got to try and find people that will accept us. But you know, God has, in God, we can find our identity. And in God, it's is our true identity. So the enemy wants to break families so much that he preferably would like that pattern to be repeated generation after generation. And he works hard to do that. Some of the consequences of, of what he's trying to do with his lies of rejection and abandonment can include things like this. Anxiety, anger, violence, sexual promiscuity as well. Things like that. And unfortunately, some things that have been taught in church over the centuries have served the enemy's strategy because some things have implied that God is waiting for us to sin so that he can punish us, that God rejects us when we don't behave the right way, and he doesn't. He doesn't reject us. If, even when we sin, he doesn't reject us. That God, but God actually loves us unconditionally. And do you know what? It doesn't give us license to sin, but rather his unconditional love should motivate us to live holy lives. And I've got an example of that soon. In fact, I might give that in a moment. God says, be holy as I am holy. You know, like if you were, a ch I don't know if you were a child like this, but I've seen children that admire their dad so much that they want to be just like their dad. Have you ever seen a child like that? They just so love their dad and admire him that they want to be just like him. And that's what we can do as well. And God said in 1 Peter 1.16, be holy as I am holy. And so I'm just going to give the example that, I, that relates to that. And it's from John 8. So if you turn to John 8, if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, John 8, verses 1 to 11. I'm just going to read it out. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? Was their attitude one of acceptance and love? No, it wasn't. And I'm not saying that what she did was right because it wasn't. But uh, it's interesting, isn't it? So they, this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus, do you know what he did? He just went and stooped down and started drawing in the, in the dirt patterns as if he was ignoring them or didn't, couldn't hear them. So when they continued asking him, he stood up and said, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then he went down on the ground and started drawing in the dirt again. Then those who heard it, verse 9, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. 
When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I think that's an incredible thing. Because the scribes and Pharisees wanted to accuse her. And let me just... Yeah, and, and condemn her. Notice that the accuser and condemner, isn't that normally what Satan does? That's only just occurred to me. He's, he's known as the accuser, and he brings condemnation. The amazing thing is, because she knew she'd sinned, she knew, she knew. He didn't need to point out the obvious, she knew. And she, he wouldn't do that anyway. Instead, Jesus showed the Father's unconditional love by not rejecting her, but saying, go and sin no more. So he never condoned her sin, but he also didn't reject her. And that's, that's how we need to be. So showing love unconditionally without rejection, I think that would have motivated her to stop sinning, actually. Change her from the inside out. There's lots more I could say, but I'm not going to. I want to give you an example of God's love for us, and I'm going to read from Luke 15. So Luke 15 is the, is the um, story that Jesus gave of the prodigal son. And Jesus said in verse 11, so this is Luke 15, 11, and I'm going to read through to the end of the chapter. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. So in other words, he was saying, can I have my bit of inheritance now, please? Can I have my half? And he said, okay. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. That means he, need, he had no food, probably nowhere to stay, because he'd run out of his money, he'd spent everything. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he gladly would have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, but no one gave him anything. And then he came to himself. In other words, he woke up. He realized, what on earth am I doing? And he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I'm going to go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you <clears throat> and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, and I want you to listen to this bit because this is the father's heart to you. When he was still a great way off, his father saw him. So he was looking for him. He was looking out, hoping to see him. He saw him and had compassion and ran 
and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for my son was dead and is alive now. He was lost and is found. Now his father, uh, sorry, his, his older son got very upset by that, and I'm not going to read that part, but what, um, basically he said he was complaining about it. And in verse 31, his father said, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And you know, that's God's love for us. It's unconditional. So he went and squandered his, his father's, the inheritance that his father had given him. Sounds like he was a fairly wealthy man. So it would have been a lot that he'd just gone and wasted. And yet his father, when he came back, didn't say, what, have you lost everything? Why are you back? You know, he didn't say that. In fact, he embraced him. And that's what God wants to do with us. And that's what God wants family to be like, the mountain of family to be like. And by the way, in the mountain of family, it's not just families that are in that mountain. It's people that work in areas of healing and restoration as well. So people like any kind of um, counsellor, people in healthcare. Um, let me just find where I had that written. It's people who are, no, I can't find it, that's fine. It's people who are, even in aged care, people that look after people. So anyone in that is, is a person that has empathy for other people. Um, so, so those kind of jobs as well fit into this category too, and into this mountain. So just finishing off. For those whose assignment is in the mountain of family, and I'm talking to all of you, I think, <laughs> probably most likely, remember we need to intentionally operate with the opposite spirit of what's presently ruling, and remember it's rejection and abandonment ruling. Um, so first thing is make sure that you know within yourself that you are truly loved and accepted by God, okay? Because how can we give love if, we don't, if we're not right within ourselves? Um, you can meditate on Romans eight fifteen to seventeen, Galatians four six to seven, one John four nine. Um, but once you have that, you're genuinely going to be able to love and accept others. Second thing is seek healing from God for rejection or abandonment that you may have felt, because you know God wants to heal you. He wants you to be healed of every kind of trauma whether it's emotional or even physical harm. Because once you've received your healing, you're going to be empowered to help others find healing as well. And remember, it's the Holy Spirit's role to convict people of sin. We must show God's love and acceptance. Note, note that Satan condemns people, but the Holy Spirit convicts, and those are two different things. 
Conviction is motivated by love and leads to change, but con condemnation is aimed at making people feel bad about what they've done and makes a person ultimately feel rejected. And I gave an example about how I've done that to people in my life. And as a child, I remember doing this too. I was about, I don't know how old I was, but we lived in Newlands at the time, and I probably was maybe seven or something, maybe six, maybe seven. And there was a boy that lived up the road, and mum will probably know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to tell all the story because that'll make me look really bad. But he, uh, I took a dislike to him because he smelled. And, um, and it was, and, and, and so I was, I was quite mean to him actually. And, and okay, Leanne, I will say that I did start hitting him with a plastic spade one day. Oh, did he? Okay, he kicked me first. I don't remember that, but I do remember hitting him with the plastic spade. And... It turned out, though, that that young boy, and he was, was he about my age? He was about my age. But he, I don't think his family life was very good. Because I can remember one day being, walking home, and for some reason he was walking with me. I think we went to the same school or something, but I was walking home. He was there too, and someone else was as well. And I, we had to walk past his house to get to my home. And so he said, do you want to come in for a little bit? So we did. And I, and he see, I said, where's your parents? And he said, oh, they, they're not here. They won't be home for a while. And, and back in the 1970s, that, that was a shock for me because my mum was always home when I got home from school. And... So, that, so as an adult, looking back on that situation, I think that poor young boy was actually not having a very good family life, and I feel really sad that I treated him really badly. But, you know, it, so we just need to be really careful of, of how we respond to people and, and what we say, don't we? So we need to focus on healing people's hearts um, rather than focusing on their sin. <laughs> And always there is, the Holy Spirit convicts, and that is so true. Um, but we need to show un unconditional love. So, you know, all of the commandments of God can be summed up in Luke ten twenty seven. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's so true. So God is a God of love, and on the mountain of family, he wants restoration, he wants healing, and uh, he, wants, he wants to show himself through us, through family, whether it be our natural family or our church family. So uh, I just wanted to finish there, and I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for every person, Father, that's in here or listening to the message, Father. Lord, you know what they need, Lord. And so I pray, God, for healing and restoration, Father God, of every kind of emotional trauma that they may have experienced, Lord, in their life. And I pray, God, that you'd reveal to them, Lord, things that they need to, to have healed within themselves so that they can then go on to heal and restore other people through you.
In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father.